Welcome to the Etch Podcast, an inside look at business strategy, design leadership, and innovation from experts across different industries who are actually doing it. Today we have Lex Roman and we want to talk about growth design. Lex, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing and how's it going on in uh, LA this morning? It's great. Thank you for having me, Ross. Yeah, no worries. So tell us a bit about growth design. Well, actually, before that, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, What have you been doing? Uh, How did you get started in this industry? And where are you right now? So I identify as a growth designer. I call myself that as my title. I run my own company, Lex Roman Incorporated, uh, based here in LA, but I work largely remotely at all times, not just during pandemics. And I, for years now, I've been practicing sort of business-centric design, design that feeds businesses. Um, and so some of my past work has included uh, working with large enterprise companies like Toyota and Nissan, helping them with innovation efforts to uh, launch new products and find new markets, um, as well as launching brand new startups. But I really found my sweet spot working with what I call growth stage companies, which is a company that has product market fit, but is rapidly scaling or trying to scale to that next level. Incredible. And uh, how. How did you find this kind of discipline? It feels like it's it's a, more of a specialist role within design. And it I liked how you explained it. It's after a, a business has found its market fit. It knows what it needs to do. And now it just really needs to double down on it. There's always a lot of confusion when there's a new term. Like I feel like when people hear the term growth design, uh, they're just they're looking for the shiny object. Like what? Okay, great. I can apply this for all my problems. <laughs> and it's yes, it's very much for companies that are post product market fit. That's how I see it. I should caveat. There are other designers who see it differently than I do, but I see it as you've launched your startup, you've found your customer base. Things are working. Your product is working on some level, but something is causing stagnant growth. So either your signups are slowing down, um, you're exhausting your marketing channels, you're losing subscribers, you're having you know churn issues. Um, and so growth design is the idea that you can authentically identify those gaps for your business and deliver value for customers. Um, rather than just like trick people into buying more stuff or uh, spam them, you know, which historically has been like, uh, you know, bad, bad sales practices uh, for growth. And so for me, I, when I first got into design, I was working with really small teams. Like uh, I was doing like e-commerce sites for businesses in LA. I did some nonprofit sites and people would come to our small agency in West LA and say, Oh, I'd like to get more signups on my website or I'd like to sell more stuff. Um, like how do we do that? That's what, you know, this website redesign that we're doing, it's really about like getting more people on the email list, getting more people to buy our stuff. And I would say, great. How, how many of those things are you selling now? Like what, like show me the metrics, right? Where are you now with your business? And, and 
almost everyone had no information on that. Like, clearly someone did. Like, maybe their accountant knew, but they they couldn't answer that question. And so I started instrumenting, like, the smallest of microsites with Google Analytics. Um, and for me, that became addictive because I, I realized that I could ship design and measure whether or not it worked. And so growth design for me, working with these companies that do have customers, enough customers that I can talk to them, that we can ship stuff and try stuff with them, um, became really satisfying. It's like a sweet spot of that iterative design loop. You, you actually have customers, you have products, and it's about starting that two-way communication from getting data and and di- problem solving through that is is data a, a core kind of asset with uh, in a growth designer's toolkit? Yes, and for for other growth practitioners, like um, so, growth start the idea of growth as a practice as a as a title as a job title um, really started with marketers and product product managers, and then moved into engineering and has now finally come to design or I should say we've pushed it towards design but for for any growth practitioner it's it's impossible to do growth work without metrics um Sean Close who who was I think VP of product for Metro Mile the car insurance company that charges by the mile um did a podcast where he talked about this he he was just like the there's foundational work that you need to do um instrumenting your product, making sure you have sound data is one of them. And so, yeah, that's one reason why I like to delineate growth design from lean startup because lean startup requires a whole different metrics mindset. You have no customers usually, or you have a handful and you're using innovation accounting. You're using a whole different framework for measuring signal um, because you can't use millions of users as the metric. Do the teams that you work with now uh, see that you can kind of beautifully dovetail into what they're doing? Or is it a more radical change into some of their operations? And and in, in terms of engagements, are, are you running a, a rolling contract with these uh, with these organizations? Or is it done within a, a time period of, you know, a few weeks? What How does this manifest with with those engagements what i've learned is that growth is something the idea that your company wants to focus on growth has to be built in so your your executive team needs to prioritize growth some companies don't want to grow there's actually this book that i read that was really fun it's called small giants and it's about companies that stay intentionally small they just decided to stay intentionally small, even though they had capacity to grow and have had acquisition offers. And so if you want to grow, that's an executive team decision. The executive team needs to want to grow the business. And so growth has to have a lot of internal buy-in. I think what's still really unsolved in the growth community is what that looks like. When Sean Ellis wrote his blog post in 2010 about growth hacking, which sort of kick-started the terminology growth hacker, 
people assumed it was one person that they had to hire. It's like, okay, cool. Everyone else is like shipping code and this one person comes in and just like skyrockets the company. And that wasn't his intention. Uh, but you know, people misunderstand things that are really popular. And, uh, and so what we learned since then was at least you need a team of cross-functional people. So we know marketing, product, engineering, data, design all needs to be included in that. And companies are still experimenting with what that looks like. Is it one team that focuses on growth? Is it multiple teams? Or do you have the whole company? So Netflix, for example, is extremely growth-driven across the whole company. And so, but I don't know that anyone's like, solved it in a way where it's widely adopted. I think it's still, we're still figuring that out. So for me as a consultant, I really only work with companies that have already bought into growth as an idea. They know what growth is. They're practicing it on some level. They've already set up some of these teams. Um, they may or may not have designers involved yet, but they know, they know sort of what they're getting into. And usually they come to me with a specific problem. Uh, they don't normally say like, oh, we'd like to practice growth design because usually they're already practicing it or uh, it's not the problem that they're looking to solve. The problem that they need to solve is we're not getting enough people to click checkout. We're not getting enough people through our onboarding. Um, we don't know what else to do to fix churn. And so I come in and work with existing teams, usually product design, engineering, and data, and help them take a look at opportunities they might be missing in their process. Often those include solid data practices. So both the instrumentation of their product, like is it correctly firing data? And is the team communicating about data? Which is usually where stuff's going wrong. And then the other area is really about customer research because I find that so many teams, especially once they have product market fit, just lose touch with their customers. And so they start to get very far away from what customers need and what their real scenarios are. And they start making assumptions that seem very logical but are incorrect. And so they ship the wrong thing. And so customer research and the data side is a lot of what I do with teams um, I sometimes work with smaller companies that don't have as many resources, in which case, you know, I can play sort of both design and product um, and help define a little growth roadmap and, and build in a lot of more practices for them. But it would still require, no matter what, an internal team to sort of work with me and take it forward when I move on. Hacking growth is what was just a astonishing book for me. It, it's I, I was captivated all the way through the examples of Dropbox and a few others. I I retell nearly every other week when I'm trying to engage a team in getting them from, no, you don't actually have to build the product right now. You can just build the excitement or, or start communicating the product to give you the signals that you should actually build this product or not. So I guess you're you're taking it from after that product market fit and you're, you're working on the next uh, milestone that, that that product team needs to, needs to go. Absolutely. Yeah, I love Hacking Growth. I recommend it to everybody. There are very few books on growth. Sean Ellis is one of the most famous, uh, you know, growth. he's sort of the originator of 
growth hacking. Um, and I think he wrote that book to correct a lot of the misconceptions that had come after his blog post and his writing. But, you know, he runs his own community. I've been to his conferences, um, which are fantastic. But I think what I found in sort of where I dovetail with Sean's work is that design was missing from the conversation. So Sean has a background. He's a founder. He's a serial founder. He has a marketing background, product background. But um, I just found designers weren't getting this information. They weren't participating in it. They certainly weren't participating at a strategic level. So if designers were involved in growth, they were receiving instructions from product managers or growth leads that came from a marketing background. Um, and I just thought that was a huge miss. And so I, I really think the growth, growth design is really just the idea that designers can take a leading role in growth, that it doesn't just have to be led by marketing and product, um, that design can be strategic. And I think engineering also can do that. There are some growth engineers, Jeff Chang, who I think is at Pinterest or was, um, is the one that comes to mind. But yeah, I think the, the, the point really of growth design is to empower designers to take more of a role um, about the user experience and how the user experience drives growth. And Sean's work is foundational. It's critical. That book is phenomenal. Um, and there's not enough. Like people want to learn about growth, but there's not enough resources. There's Sean's book. Uh, my former UX teacher, Jamie, wrote UX Strategy, which is in many ways a book about how to find product market fit and how to scale it um, through the lens of design. And then Molly Norris Walker wrote um, UX Design for Growth, which is the only book I think on growth design. Because sometimes it feels like it's verging onto front-end development, sometimes with, with A-B testing or you need to know JavaScript so you can do X, Y, Z. Or there's a little more of the kind of marketing analytics and um, those kind of things. So is it, do you feel like it's, it's a meshing of a few previous roles or do you feel like it's, it's crafted in a, in a more contemporary uh, position? I, I really wanted to popularize growth design as a term because I wanted to find my community. I wanted to find other designers who felt compelled to drive impact and, and not just compelled to drive impact, but, but interested in the results. Like, were they driving impact? Um, and, which is great. I found them. But the risk is now just what you said, that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what growth design is. How is it different from growth? How is it different from design? Is it a whole process in itself? Is it a job title? Um, I think the thing that I would love to instill is that growth design is the idea that design can strategically contribute to business and can take a leadership role in doing that. That's it. I don't think that it's important for us to like canonize a methodology or a toolkit or even necessarily a skill set, though I think there are some things you would be hard pressed to have impact without. Um, but I, I really would like to stay away from like dogma. I think I just feel like software is plagued with that stuff. And I, you know, I would hate if we ended up with like a, a version of a scrum master, you know what I mean? So, um, so the real goal is get designers involved in business. That's the goal of growth design and, and specifically, um, scaling businesses, growing them in terms of skills though, in order to do that work, 
you have to take ownership of how your work is measured. So one of the main skill sets that's very different from a product designer to a growth designer is an in-depth knowledge of analytics, like an ability to understand at your company, how are, how are your products being measured? Who is in charge of doing that? How do you make sure your work is measured and that you understand how it's being measured? How do you look at the results? I, I just typically find designers are not involved in that. That's not to say they can't be. Absolutely, I believe product designers should do that whether or not they identify as a growth practitioner. Um, but, but you can't be a growth practitioner without that. So that's a differentiator for those of us who practice growth. I think the other thing that's really different is that product designers are tasked with delivering thorough experiences like thinking through all of the nuance in a product. And some of the nuance in products does not drive company growth. So like if you're working on the settings page of Twitter, um, it's kind of hard to tie that to a growth metric, although you could maybe make an argument about privacy, but um, it can be hard depending on what you're doing. If you're working on something that needs to exist for the product to function, but isn't... Um, adding subscribers, retaining subscribers, getting people to purchase things. And so that's very important. It's a very important part of product design to be thorough. Growth, practicing, practicing growth is really about finding the mystery in your product. Why is this going down? Why is this not going up? And iterating on ways to solve that through, through design um, or through product decision making. And so they're just sort of like Danny Hart actually really made this come into focus for me. She um, was Sean Ellis's head of growth at Growth Hackers. And she talked about the different tempos of working where a product team works at a certain tempo and a growth team works a lot faster. People get really obsessed about metrics. Like if you're not measuring, then you're not doing, you're not finding the ROI. And the, the metrics that you talked about in that piece were some of the defining um, measures that I hadn't really heard of before. And I wanted to ask you, there, there must be some areas where you're, you're conducting growth, whether that's you know, solving or improving the, a churn metric or improving onboarding or um, you know, growing the, the, the sales of, of an area. But is there often a discussion of which metric rules them all? Or do you have this kind of, look, we have five metrics on, on this particular area and we're going to measure each one, each one equally. How do you steer the discussion to a metrics question that, or a metrics answer that fulfills where the business needs to go, but also is kind of answering the, the, the questions and the, the challenges that you get from, from the team that you're working with? It's really, really, really hard. <laughs> I've, sat, I've sat in so many OKR sessions just being like, I mean, I think it's really hard. What's hard about it is the business has its own metrics, um, the metrics they report to the board or to, to shareholders. Um, and teams generally need to break those down a few levels in order to impact them. So, you know, your company's goal might be a certain boost in revenue. Generally, your team's goal will be a sub goal of that. And I think there's a few frameworks that I find really helpful. 
One is the growth loops framework, with which Brian Balfour and the Reforge team has written about, and I think they teach at their school. Um, but he has a great blog post about it. If you just search Reforge growth loops, you'll find it. Um, and it's thinking about the viral loop of your product. So how does your product or service grow? Um, and thinking about your team's role in that, I think, is a good exercise. Um, like, I worked at Envision a while ago, and I worked on, like, a very small feature um, that wasn't, like, a natural part of that um, process. But you can still think through how does someone using this, how does this impact how they invite their teammates, for example? Some, like, any really, any touch point that brings people into the product. The other one is the North Star metric playbook that um, John Cutler wrote for Amplitude, which is really great and talks about the way that they break down North Star metrics into all these submetrics. Um, and for me, that was really transformational in the way that I think about breaking down metrics. I highly recommend that book. It's free on their website, I think. Um, and, and he talks exactly about how to walk your team through taking that big metric and breaking it down. Um, at which point it becomes a lot easier to measure and a lot easier to affect when a product team is shipping. Certainly in, in growth design, but also uh, the, the work that you've done uh, in, in recent years and also your journey right now. I wanted to finish this conversation, Lex, around the ethics of growth. You mentioned earlier, and I, I wanted to kind of dive a bit deeper on it, that uh, growth marketing in its kind of infancy had this kind of bad reputation of putting together lists dodgy lists that you, you can you know find or buy and growth was felt to be this this dirty word that was a a useful mechanic to get companies where they need to be but the ethics involved were questionable so has the work that you've done and growth design as a whole started to solve that area in a way that feels a little more ethically correct. We certainly want to get to that place. Um, Chaitana Deora, who co-runs the growth design community with me and is a fantastic design leader, um, is an extremely important voice to follow in that journey. Um, she always says, keep growth good. And I think you know, part of why we get along so well is that we both feel that it's possible to grow companies in a way that is human-centric, that doesn't involve exploiting people's labor. Um, I mean, we're seeing in the States in a couple of days, like, you know, more and more strikes happening. There's one happening this week here um, of workers, of tech companies. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot lately about what this means. And I think the opportunity for design is to really be paying attention to is there a way to meet this business goal that doesn't involve lying to people, <laughs> cheating, cheating the system, exploiting human labor? Um, and the other thing is, can we play this forward? What are some of the things that, what are some of the bad um, future scenarios that we could generate? Kenneth Bowles talks about this. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but he's a design ethics leader. Um, he talks about ways to do that, and I think growth needs to take that on. I think design and designers who work in growth are uniquely poised to do that. So it's we're seeing the 
we're seeing the consequences now for what happens to companies that don't pay attention to that. That's happening to Amazon, um, to Instacart, to Facebook, to Uber. And so it's important that as practitioners in tech at all, that we are paying attention to what our work does and how it affects other human beings um, and that we're not growing our companies at all expenses, especially human lives. More power to the human. Lex, thank you so much. Where can people find you and what are you passionate about and working towards right now? You can find me at LexRoman.com and on Twitter at Collexity. Awesome. And what, what's next for you? What, what's the uh, during COVID, post-COVID uh, wants and wishes? I'm doing a lot of uh, community work from home. So a lot of sort of digital communication work um, for a variety of homelessness efforts here in Los Angeles. And I'm thinking about this growth ethics trajectory for myself and how do I um, move more towards public work, more towards work for government and for nonprofits and take the designing for impact skill set over to those areas. Amazing. Alex Roman, thank you. And thank you for spending time with us.